It's Monday, August 15th. Welcome to Market Forward. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman, and from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday, gents. Hello. Hey, nice to be in the air conditioned. Yes. <laughs> Although it seems like it's a little bit cooler today than it was this weekend. Yes. I went and hit golf balls. It wouldn't have like to be hour. very. It wouldn't have to be much cooler to be <laughs> cooler than it was this I, weekend. I went like at high. It, just the hottest time of the day yesterday, probably around two two in the afternoon. And I mean, you know, that was obviously you my look decision. like you dropped a couple pounds. Well, you know, that's digits, probably yeah. not a good thing. I, I think uh, I could I could argue the case for maybe needing to gain a couple, but I'll work on that. All right, you work on that. We've got Apple CEO Tim Cook in the news. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. Let's get to a couple of news items first. Alphabet is rethinking the rollout of Google Fiber. Uh, you may recall this was rolled out five or six years ago to a, a decent amount of fanfare, where Google was uh, in the process spending millions of dollars laying fiber optic cables to select cities around the United States. And if if you're in, I think Kansas City is one of those cities. Austin, Texas. If you're, you know, if you get the Google Fiber, speed is about 30x. Normal internet uh, speed, you're you're happy, uh, but now comes word that they're looking at the numbers and they've got undergoing projects in Portland, Oregon, and San Jose, California. Those are now on hold. Taylor, I I didn't see her name in the reports, but I see the hand of CFO Ruth Porat in this one. Yeah, I mean you've got a business that's leading the capital expenditures of their other bets business. Um, and it's losing money, so obviously a new CFO comes in wants to double check all the losing numbers, and um, it's interesting to me because there's a company we recommend in Stock Advisor Canada, and I think it's a Hidden Gems recommendation. Just recently, Two Cows. Um, two Cows. Two Cows. Yeah, T U C O W S. Sounds okay. like an ice cream company. Yeah, <laughs> it's an acronym. I can't remember what it stands for, but their mascot is a cow. No surprise there. Um, and uh, they got into the fiber business not too long ago. They're in three cities in the U.S. Canadian company, but they're implementing this in the U.S. So, as a share, as a you know, being an analyst covering that company, I'm interested to see what they say if they do say anything because they're still rolling this out. They just selected their fourth city in the United States, but their installation costs are only about 200 for an individual home and 400 dollars for an individual business, whereas this Google Fiber says it's usually around 500 dollars. Per connected cust per customer um, of eligible customer, that's not even the ones that they're connecting to. So it seems that maybe two cows figured out something. I think they're utilizing more infrastructure that's already established and just leasing that from the from the cities that they're moving into. So I'm interested to see maybe if Google releases more information about their business in the fiber industry because when you look through the filings, there's it's very vague. It's just lumped into that other bets segment and. Um, they're choosing to go wirelessly, is what they're saying, but there's no f- definitive plans on how they're going to implement that. Yeah, I mean, I think this is just like investing. We always talk about how investing, we really need to try to look forward and sort of predict the future. And I think that with uh, this Google Fiber venture, I mean, this this is no different, right? I mean, back in 2010, I think when they when they sort of started this initiative, I mean, their task at that point in time, and really. Not only trying to assess the current situation, but then sort of see down the road and, and try to assess where things are going. And I think at that time it was reasonable. You could see that perhaps fiber was uh, at least one direction it was going. And I, I think they sort of encouraged the other big players in the space, Verizon, I think, for example, this FiOS product to to kind of get out there and, and uh, sort of proliferate as well. Um, but but plainly today, when you when you are tasked with looking forward 
from here, I mean, it's plain to see that wireless is really probably the bigger opportunity. And it turns out, <laughs> you know, laying it, laying down all this fiber optic cable in established areas where you got to dig up roads and sidewalks and stuff like that turns out to be kind of expensive right. and, and, and tough to do. It takes so, a little time. Yeah, costs shocker. a little money. Um, so, I mean, honestly, I mean, the other thing that kind of gets me here, it seems like every time we talk about internet speeds i mean is it me or does it seem like we we hear the talk about internet speeds you can say 30x or whatever you want to put on it but then when you're actually using it don't you feel just a a slight just tinge of disappointment i mean just <laughs> just slightly i mean it never seems to quite live up to its expectation because it always seems like something has just gotten better so i guess my point is this space Really changes fast, and and I think that something like internet speed, for example, whether it's fiber or wireless, it's always about the next thing, and it's always faster, better, kind of like the Bionic Man. I mean, maybe that's what they need. Really, is the uh, what's it, Steve Austin? Yeah, you know, they come out with a Steve Austin product line, and maybe you know that would be even more compelling. But well, yeah, Facebook using their drone, they just tested that yeah. right with their drone with Wi-Fi, and Google had long talked about a Project Loon where they're going to have Wi-Fi from hot air balloons. Um, <laughs> yeah. So they're helping their own cause, right? The faster you can load a Google search, the faster they can display ads to you, and the more people that can use it, the better. Um, yeah, wireless seems like a lot less of a burden on, on the infrastructure side of things. Well, and Jason, go back to what you were saying about uh, how it's like investing. One more way this is like investing is the idea that when you're making an investment in something, you have a reason for doing so. You have a thesis, and maybe you wrote that down, or, or whatever it was. So, clearly, when they started this move six years ago, they had some plan in mind. And at some point along the way, whether it was Ruth Porat or someone else said, hey, remind me why we started doing this, and can we go back and check what we were hoping to accomplish, and check that against the actual amount of money that we're spending and that's maybe when they put the brakes on. I think she's been a very good addition to the company for just the reason you mentioned right there. I think she's really kind of giving that. I think she's giving sort of that challenge, like the bear to, to the bull thesis, so to speak. And, and and that's that's helpful in virtually every walk in life, I think. And so and so for for Google, they'll benefit. I, I think it's also interesting to see in regard to what they're doing in looking forward and trying to maybe see if they can get cities and or power companies to to start chipping in and building out these fiber networks if it's deemed that the fiber networks are are really that beneficial and that necessary i mean that's taking a page out of the old coca-cola playbook in in sort of Sort of not shirking, but really sort of pushing that heavy work, that heavy heavy labor off to uh, sort of sort of the other bigger infrastructure uh, owners in sort of that value that value chain, so to speak. Like Netflix passing on the bandwidth straight to uh, Verizon and Comcast. Yeah, shares of Twitter up eight percent this morning on reports that the company is negotiating with Apple to bring the Twitter app to Apple TV, and that means. NFL games potentially going to Apple TV. Where is the money in all this? Connect the dots. I mean, I get, I get the enthusiasm for Twitter because it's whether it's, I mean, insert name of company is about to do a deal with <laughs> yeah. Apple. Generally, that works out well, yeah. at least in the short term for where, wherever the company, you know, whatever that company is. But where, where is the money in all of this? Right. I think, I think. The short answer is digital advertising. That's the big opportunity here. That not only Twitter, I think all of these companies are trying to figure out 
how to sort of crack that nut, so to speak. And I mean, this only makes sense for Twitter. I mean, I'm not terribly surprised that we heard this. I mean, it only makes sense really when you think about they're pursuing sports with all of the live streaming offerings that they're bringing to the table this year. And sports is really, truly that one frontier in in entertainment that that works on linear television. Um, it just so happens that the Twitter is really good at at live in in bringing sports into the mix. I think will make sense. But I think if you look at it sort of bigger picture, and if you think that uh, we're looking at over the top as being kind of the new wave of distribution here when it comes to television entertainment, whether you're watching it on your phone or on your TV through an Apple TV or a Fire TV device or a Google Chromecast or whatever it may be, this essentially turns Twitter into a TV channel, like like anything else. And if Twitter becomes a TV channel that is known for streaming live sporting events, well, there's a, a boatload of advertising opportunity in, in there. And, and I think there's also the opportunity um, for some sort of subscription revenue that could, could sort of develop from this over time. And if you look at what we talked about last week on Motley Fool Money, with Disney's investment in BAM Tech in order to bring that over-the-top opportunity beyond just sort of their their uh, linear offerings with all of the cable providers, I think it starts to make a lot more sense here. In that it's it's always been really the question of distribution. We know that sports is very compelling, and we know people like it and want to see it, but it's always been a question of kind of being able to get what you want when you want. And I think that all of this over-the-top opportunity is going to be. Uh, the chance for whether it's Disney or Twitter or whomever else in the in, in the in the in the party here to, to be able to kind of get all of these different types of events out in front of people so that we as consumers can watch what we want when we want and and we can be charged accordingly for it. So I think advertising is the biggest near term opportunity. Subscription is something that could be a little bit farther down the road if they and others continue to execute on this move. I guess the test case would be the Yahoo hosting the game last year. Did you guys watch? Did you ever guys watch it on Yahoo? I didn't. Be, uh, it was it was the London game. Yeah. It was early Sunday morning. I didn't. But the my recollection is that the reports afterwards were um, after a couple of initial glitches early in the broadcast. It it largely went off without a yeah. hitch. And th- and that was I remember we talked about this a year ago, mm-hmm. saying, look, you know, after sort of poking a little bit of fun, like, hey, this is this is. A game in London between two teams. I think it was Buffalo and Jacksonville. You know, yeah, two, like, not very entertaining. Yeah, it's not a marquee game, yeah. um, and so there there wasn't probably a ton of bidding going on. And Yahoo was able to get this, them, you know, for for not a lot mm-hmm. of money. But I remember one of the things we talked about at the time was, okay, yes, all of that aside, if this goes well for Yahoo, mm-hmm. then. Your Google, your Apple, your all these other companies, your Facebook, you're watching how they're doing. Yeah. Even if it's like you, you go ahead and test the water first, and we'll see how you do. And if you do well, then we'll think about going in. And certainly, if you are the NFL, if you're Major League Baseball, if you're any, you know, Premier League, you're also watching yep. that test. Going well, if this does work out well, this is you know potentially one more slice of the pie that we get. Yeah, yep. and I think the Yahoo's challenges in in that one experience were twofold. Number one. Yahoo has not been really where the eyeballs tend to go first. I mean, I think that's where Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and all of these social media 
um, type properties, they certainly are attracting more of the eyeballs these days. So it wasn't really a no-brainer that people would figure out to go to Yahoo Discovery. I think was a challenge there. Uh, but then also just the commitment to it. I mean, it was sort of a one-off thing, and I don't think anybody really expected Yahoo to then become some mass distributor of NFL content over the coming year because. I mean, it was plain to us, at least, because we cover Yahoo as a company, that they were having multiple challenges, and in streaming one NFL game wasn't going to be the cure-all really for anything. But I do think that you're right. All of these businesses were paying attention and and looking to see what went well, what didn't go well. And in Twitter's case, um, I mean, I think that with all of the testing they've done to date with things like Wimbledon, with the Democratic and the Republican conventions. You know, the one challenge that I saw there that most people saw was discovery. It wasn't the easiest thing to find initially, um, unless you're just a, a constant Twitter user like me, for example. I mean, it was easy to find. But I think discovery, which was the big challenge, is something that will take a bit of a backseat to what they're focused on right now, is making sure the quality of the video is as good as it can possibly be. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, this is you know straight from Twitter management's uh, mouths here, is that they are focusing on the quality of the video and integrating it into the, the experience, the platform, to make it just outstanding, excellent, with no flaws. And, and that makes a lot of sense, because if the video sucks, no then one's gonna watch people it. aren't going to want to watch it, right? But if the video is great, and then people are going to say, wow, this video is solid, there's no hang-ups there, it's crystal clear, and now I get to integrate all of this other stuff. And so now, this potential, at least, that they bring this to the Apple TV with NFL, I hear they're in the talks with PGA, probably will be some MLB or NHL stuff in there as well, and we know that they have a tremendous relationship with the NBA. Um, if you're getting very high-quality video, along with that added um, second screen social media dynamic. I mean, that's going to be a very compelling offering for I think a lot of people. That's my big question: is how different is it going to look and feel than regular television? Because they can't it. come at you with a standard program, commercial break, program, commercial break, TV style. I don't think precisely. That that, yeah. I mean, it has to be different, or else why do it? Right. Right. CEO Tim Cook from Apple sat down with uh, Jenna McGregor at the Washington Post. Um, I haven't made it all the way through this interview, but what I've read so far is really compelling stuff, and I'll, I'll tweet this out on the Market Foolery feed. But um, I wanted to just kick around a couple of things that he touched on um, that he was asked about, and, and one of them was, was taxes. And we've talked before about how much cash on hand Apple has. What's the, it's like two it's like two hundred and twenty billion. Two hundred twenty like billion yeah. dollars. The overwhelming majority of that is overseas. And one of the things that that Tim Cook talked about in uh, in his direct way, and I say this as someone who is not an Apple shareholder, I just from a communication standpoint, I have very much enjoyed <laughs> Tim Cook's um, tenure as CEO. I think the the more we have. CEOs who are as plain spoken as him, I think the uh, the better off we all are as investors. Um, but he was asked about taxes and said in in pretty direct terms that um, he he would love to figure out a way to bring uh, a lot of that cash back home to the states. But when he started to lay out the tax rate that they would be paying, Jason, he said, "Look, um, I, I, these people who are charging uh, that we're not being patriotic, you, you don't." Patriotism isn't equal to money. You're you're not more patriotic just because you're paying more money. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I think um, I think like anybody, I mean, you, you 
we're subject to our tax code, which is it just every year becomes more and more nebulous, if that's even believable. I mean, it is it is it is to the point where it is ununderstandable. But one thing's for sure is that uh, whether it's personally or whether it's a corporation, I mean, you have every incentive in the world to try to figure out how to minimize your tax bill at the end of the year. And um, when when CEOs bring in CFOs, I mean, a CFO's mandate is is that let's figure out how to really minimize our tax exposure. You can't blame them for that because that's the system we've created. I mean, incentives dictate it all. And and, and I think Charlie Munger, that's that's one of the biggest lessons I've ever taken away from anybody investing ever. You read poor Charlie's almanac and he's got some great stuff in there on incentives. And and we have that that system today that's creating these types of incentives. So I think that um, I think Cook makes a great point. I don't blame him at all. I certainly don't equate patriotism with dollars. I think uh, the two are, are disconnected completely. Um, I think that it makes a lot of sense for our government to figure out a way, whether it's a one-time tax holiday or whether it's some sort of adjustment to the tax code, to allow for all of these big companies. I mean, we're talking not just Apple. It's Apple, Microsoft, IBM, companies like these, Cisco, I think even. They have these billions, and billions oh, yeah. Cisco of dollars has plenty of cash overseas. overseas, and it's 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 almost like you're saying, "Well, we're going to hold your success against you," and and that I, I just I don't agree with that. I think the opportunity is there to create sort of a nice win-win situation for everyone involved. You could bring a lot of that money back. I mean, we know that. The, the this election season, all of the candidates are talking about investments we need to make in infrastructure. There's no question we need that. Uh, how you get that money is another question. Uh, taxes is going to be the, the the way they do it. So you got to figure out some way to, to to raise that tax line somewhere. This could certainly be a very big opportunity um, for everyone to win here because if you think about it from a shareholder's perspective, and all of a sudden Apple's able to bring back all of this money, I mean that results in a lot of potential there. I mean they could buy back more shares. They can raise their dividend. They don't have to take out more debt to offset the cash that they're keeping in that bank overseas. I mean they're issuing debt so they don't have to bring that money back. Right. I mean, it's clearly the system is broken, and I don't begrudge Tim Cook at all for getting out there and uh, saying, 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 you know, telling, telling people how he feels. One of the other things he talked about um, that caught my eye was uh, he was asked about augmented reality, and and the the story that, frankly, I thought, uh, and probably just because I'm old and out of touch, uh, <laughs> uh, I thought was just like a a two or three day story, Pokemon Go. Just continues to have legs because of its success, and he was being asked about that, and he said point blank, like, "Oh yeah, no, we're augmented reality. We're taking a long, hard look at this." Um, although, I suppose Taylor, you could you could make a good argument that um, they're in the best position of all because they're still getting that thirty percent scrape uh, from the in-app purchases on Pokemon Go, and and the you know the reports I've seen is anywhere as high as three billion dollars. For Pokemon Go. For Pokemon Go has <laughs> yeah. gone to Apple because of the thirty percent scrape. Did yeah, anybody I, have you played Pokemon Go? I have not, and I wasn't a believer until I was out in Fairfax Station at one of those town centers that they have, and it was after dinner, and um, two of the people we were with had been on it, so we it was like a dinner topic of conversation, and then we walk outside, and I would say the overwhelming majority of people were walking around. Looking at their phones because there was Pokemon lurking in this town center. It's and pretty insane. Yeah, I mean, you have kids. Hundreds kids of people them? just doing no, this, walking around. It was yeah. 
beyond me and clearly it set the tone for other apps doing the same thing well and uh, you know it's uh, one more reason cook is smart because he's you know he's looking at it and he's saying great we've already got the 30% scrape yeah. should we be looking into it even more should sure. we should we be doing you know i think i think google gets part of this because they have an investment in this as well so um yeah, yeah. i think the opportunities there is just stretch it beyond pokemon and just look at you just you look at everything. I mean, from from sports to Activision Blizzard to Apple to I mean, shoot, we've seen uh, Inman since the past couple of days. Yeah, stock is skyrocketed because of an upgrade, because of this sort of move towards augmented reality, which will demand more of those gyroscopes on a chip that they provide. And I mean, that's the hardware play where you sort of see the commoditization factor come in there. And I don't know that I would look at Inman since as kind of a, a longer term value creator from there, but I would look at the the big players in the space that are going to be a part of it no matter what, whether it's Pokemon or shopping experience at the mall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what whatever it is. I mean, I think you, you look at your Apples, your Googles, your Activision Blizzards, and figure out how they're going to capitalize. It could be a pretty interesting opportunity. All right, let's dip into the mailbag before we wrap up. Marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. Question from AK Mac, who writes, Hey, fools, always appreciate listening to your many great podcasts. By the way, thank you for pointing out what I do on Motley Fool Money, but I don't do as good a job of on this podcast, which is pointing out we've got a lot of podcasts. You, <laughs> you can check them out on iTunes, Stitcher, you can go to podcast.fool.com. Uh, anyway, AK goes on to write, they've turned the prospect of investing from a scary monster under the bed into mostly a no-brainer, which is great. We love that. A Pokemon under the bed? Uh, you never know. Uh, I'm hoping you could help clear up a concept that you've touched on in the past, but which still completely escapes me. Getting bought out. When a company in your portfolio gets involved in a merger, acquisition, or spin-off, how do you know if that's a good or bad thing, and whether to stick around, sell, or go back in time to yesterday in the DeLorean and buy or sell using knowledge of the future? Um, it is a great question, because, I, I mean, there. There have certainly been times, Jason, where we've we've seen this type of thing happening, and our reaction is, boy, if you're a shareholder in the company that just got bought, take that money and <laughs> you just got thrown a lifeline. So, yeah. but I think to AK's question, what are what are a couple of things that you look at to determine? Okay, I'm going to take the cash and I'm going to leave, or you know what? Now I'm part of a bigger company. I think I'm going to ride it out with this uh, with this new stock that I now own. Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways to look at that. So I guess the short answer is is that it depends. Um, but I think that when you you have to assess the the company that you own, and in, in, in looking at it as an investment, there is the thesis still intact. Why is this acquisition happening? I mean, is this is this something where a company's getting kind of a bailout versus? Is is the acquiring company really taking advantage of, of an attractive technology or market opportunity that they see? And so, I mean, I think you look at something like LinkedIn, for example, and I think that became a bit more writing on the wall there when we realized that it was a very expensive stock. Uh, they were having a lot of challenges really communicating that they were going to have a, a tough time growing in line with the multiple the market was paying for the stock. And so, when that acquisition for Microsoft, when that deal for Microsoft. Um, Happened. I mean, it was something where we thought, okay, you know what? Honestly, we feel like this is probably a good deal. It's going to be an all-cash acquisition. We're getting a good, uh, getting a good offer for the shares that we have, and we felt like that was probably that made a lot of sense at the end of the day. Um, conversely, I mean, I'll use Solar City and Tesla as an example of one that is 
It, it's it's, it's going to be murkier. Yeah, it is a little murkier, and I think it's it's one that we continue to talk about because it just has some good and some bad, right? I mean, you think probably together they could work well, they could complement each other. Uh, on the flip side, there there's some pretty shady corporate governance going on there, and I don't know that I would necessarily be on board with that. But then you have to look at the fact that if Tesla buys Solar City, then that may, that means that your Solar City stock is going to become Tesla stock. And how heavily do you want to weight your portfolio on Tesla, which is going to be a more difficult business to understand once it rolls Solar City into its uh, mix there? So uh, it depends, but it, you want to take a step back and sort of look at at the company and sort of see what you're thinking about its future from the very get go. And then you also want to look at the acquirer. What's yeah. their history of acquisitions? If I'm getting acquired by HP, I'm jumping ship. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but you know, then you've got other companies that that. Just turn their acquisitions into you know multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar um, portfolio companies, and so you know that's that that would be a big area of their history of the of the acquirer. What have they done in the past? Because there's companies like HP that just have a hit list of terrible acquisitions where they've just been completely written off a year, two, three years down the road. Yeah. Well, and and uh, along those lines, and this sort of ties in with what you were saying before, Jason. If you think about Hopefully, when you bought that stock in the first place, you had a couple of reasons. You had your own thesis, and how much does that thesis still hold up? Um, you mentioned Elon Musk uh, with with Tesla and Solar City. You know, th- there are some companies that we own shares in where a big part of the thesis has to do with I really trust the people at the top of this company. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, if that still holds up in that situation, well, then then great. To your point about HP, yeah, I was I was thinking uh, you th- you mentioned HP. I was thinking Cisco system, <laughs> which just you know it is a big company that generates a lot of cash, but the track record <laughs> of acquisitions is just not at all impressive there. And I'll add another degree of difficulty to this, but I mean, if we look at LinkedIn and Microsoft, well. Before Satya Nadella, Microsoft had just a loathsome track record for acquisitions. I mean, write-off after write-off, and just goodwill impairments beyond. Um, so Balmer didn't do such a good job when he was when he was heading up Microsoft. But with Satya Nadella there, he hasn't had enough time to really be able to sort of lay down a track record there. But perhaps he's going to be better at it. And so your shares of LinkedIn are being purchased by Microsoft. Is Microsoft a business you want to be a part of going forward? Well, now that they have new leadership, perhaps it is. I can certainly see the argument for it more clearly today than uh, before Nadella actually took over. And with LinkedIn, the CEO is still sticking around. So you also want to, if you believed in the management of the company you bought, are they jumping ship? What are their What are their plans? Yeah, you know, and that's I think want? one final point. There is the company that's being acquired with LinkedIn, for example. Jeff Weiner, I think, is going to be staying on there. How long is he going to stay yeah. on? What's his incentive for staying on? And um, you know, we're seeing with Walmart acquiring Jet.com. Jet wasn't public, but part of the deal was they wanted to keep Jet.com's uh, CEO in place for I think at least five years, because I think they realized that he knows e-commerce way better <laughs> than anyone there. Smart move. Yep. All right, Jason Moser, Taylor Markman, thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.